last week on the Food of Field podcast. I kind of think they're, they knew there's a big boss Tom around yeah. and they just knew best to like keep to their own devices. And yeah. So they just played strutting with each other is yeah. what they were doing, right? right? You know, like, hey, look at me, look at me. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's like, hey, there's a hen yelping up uh, the ridge just from us a little bit. It's like, yep, don't even look up there, buddy. Remember yeah. last time what yeah. happened? And yeah. I just kind of like picture them like a couple of teenage boys outside the big, uh, you know, outside the bar. At outside night the nightclub. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, night at the Rocks. Yeah. Right. So it was like just best to keep your mouth shut and your eyes on the ground kind of thing, right? Or like she's got her man for the morning and the best thing to do is just to quietly leave yeah. she's probably like every time he gobbles and gives up their location she's probably like for god's sake can you just <laughs> shut up and follow me and like let's get out of here <laughs> so that's funny uh, and then yeah we, that kind of and then we came back to camp and we had lunch <laughs> and we're relaxing and then all of a sudden i again it's surreal because it's like no that wasn't a gobble and I said to you, I'm, what did I say? I think I said I'm 90, 89%, 89% yeah. certain that was a turkey. And then I pulled up my crow call and that was the first turkey that I had ever discovered on my own. Yes. It was kind of fun. This is the Food of Field podcast, a show about wild food ingredients and how to collect them. And now, broadcasting from the wilds of Alberta, is your host, John David Schneider. They just basically flew out of the roost tree and just went straight away from us. When they know we're no longer gobbling, like I did a couple of like little hand calls and there was no answer, then I knew they were on the ground. It's a little harder for them to hear. Um, I saw a turkey moving uh, through there, not too far away, maybe 75 yards from where I was sitting. I just saw a bit of movement and I, I thought I heard maybe like a bit of a, uh, a hand call on the ground. Yeah, so I think we got foiled again that there's a hen there and she just like went straight, straight away. It's either that or it's those two young jakes that we bumped into like over on that flat over there and they just are avoiding everybody and everything. But I do think there was a hen there. Uh, but they were fired up like, holy, just, you know, coming up the hill there. They were just gobbling their heads off. I think I had the wrong button pressed on my recorder. And I don't think I caught any of that because when the when the coyotes started howling too, they lit up, right? Yeah. It was kind of fun. Yeah. And you could hear that when the coyotes caused a shock gobble, they were uh, quite a ways up the ridge. So what do you want to do now? Do we just keep following or is it kind of a lost cause? Uh, I'm, I'm six of one half dozen of the other on that. Like it's, you know, I, I like to kind of pattern them, follow them, follow them because you never know what kind of an opportunity can unfold in 20 minutes from now, as opposed to uh, buggering off and going looking for, uh, you know, for a new bird. 
have a bit of a suspicion they might go off the nose of this ridge, cross this big draw, and then go over into some partially log old logging and stuff on that far hillside over there. If we work our way out to the nose of this ridge and throw out a crow call or something, they should, it should tell us where they are, yeah. and, and then we can make a judgment call from there. So, yeah, I just when when they get like almost uncontrollably like that in the tree, like that's I love that feeling because it's almost like they're they're um, they've just lost all control. They're so excited, right? And I just uh, I I just was like this is the time where they cannot wait to come out of the tree because they've heard a hen call and then they just fly down and they just start strutting their way straight over here um but unfortunately that was not the case nonetheless super exciting you know we were in birds again first thing this morning and i just love hearing them gobble it, it uh it appears to me like it's only a matter of time because you're just in birds every day yeah that's that's the thing so uh just one little flip of the switch and you know one's got a little different attitude one morning or in an hour from now and wants to come to your call and and you're lucky so it's pouring coffee not having a pee <laughs> Uh, it just feels like a weird spring this year and you know we've been lucky we've been in birds we're finding birds but they they're just for being in the strut they just don't seem amorous enough to come to a a a hen a, a, a calling hen like I mean that hen call that excited yelp call is like I'm ready, you know, I'm here, come come get me kind of call. Um, I'll, I'll do that. So a yelp is... And then an excited yelp is basically the same thing, but just more excited, like... What would that um, replicate? The excited yelp. The excited yelp is like a hen that wants to be bred. Mm. She's calling out in love language, um, really excited and and um, you know like for hunting moose, you know like the the estrus moose call is the like that, like like she's wanting to be bred, and so that's the equivalent in in the turkey call. Is that is that excited yelp is is, you know, literally drives the toms crazy, and and we've had times where it's like you just give that little bit of a yelp, and they just explode, and like if there's two or three toms together, there's competition for this hen, and Curtis and I have literally had birds running; it's a foot race to see which one of the toms can get to this hen first. Um, it you know, turns out to be a winner's the loser scenario, but, um, but yeah, this year we're doing that. We're getting responses out of the birds. They're gobbling back at this excited Yelp call, but they just showed no interest in coming to the excited hen. So part of it is, is we're, we've been on mature toms that already have a hen with them. 
and the like you talked about the Jake, you know, the other birds that we've seen have been the Jakes that uh, are afraid of getting their butts kicked. Yeah, and so I think they're not coming into the call because the particular dominance hierarchy of these males in this area that we're hunting, the the least or the most subordinate males, the young Jakes, are they are very, very respectful of the dominance hierarchy that's here. There's no, um, there's no dishonor between brothers out here in these turkeys where normally what I've seen is it's like if any Tom outrider, Jake, smaller Tom has a chance to slip in and beat, beat the big old Tom to one of his hens, they do it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it breeding is ruthless out here. Navy SEAL allegiance to, to the flag type honoring these birds out here is driving me nuts. It's like, can't one of you just try to slip slip one past old Longbeard and come to the hen, but they won't? It's fun to think about strategies in doing this, especially hunting in pairs. Um, hunting solo, you just do what you can do, and that's all you can do. But hunting in pairs offers you more... Uh, alternatives more options as far as strategies go what would you it also offers you twice as much chance of getting busted do you think there's any logic in my idea this morning where one of us set up on one side of the ridge like they were in a roost tree that we could hear they were gobbling like crazy um we both kind of went to one side do you think there's when you're struggling especially is there I th- I think that would have been an, that would have been a good plan for us for sure is uh, because these ridges that like they're very pronounced they're um, they're they're called drumlins and they're they're features that were created by the glaciers and the water running underneath the glaciers um, so they're these long um, you know ridges that run north south the direction that the the glaciers moved. So the turkeys like to be on the top of them. They like to roost on the top. They like to travel on the, to- on the high ground. So if we would have been south of the roost tree and north of the roost tree, the birds would have come out of that roost tree and went north or south because if they would have went east or west, they'd have been peeling off the steep face of these, these um, ridges. And they don't want to do that. They don't want to immediately come out of the roost tree and go to the low ground. They want to stay up on this high ground. and Which and is kind of it. odd to me because there's not a lot to feed on up here. Up higher here, it's way less green. Um, we mean, are seeing dust baths here and there. All those little nibbly little nips of grasses there, that's all they're going is they're just going along and they're mm-hmm. just like... Nip, nip, yeah, nip, we nip. saw that yesterday. They, those two jakes, I could watch. I could yeah. see them feeding as yeah. they as they go. And so, rather but you'd than, think, you know, like with bears, but it's just different, I guess. Bears yeah. are come out of the den, and they are just down in the greenest place they yes. can find. Blah, blah, blah. And then they just stay there and gorge themselves. But so I these, guess these guys are just these guys are maintaining. On the move. Yeah, yep, they're hydrating the landscape and constantly traveling and pecking on the ground. Um, and I believe part of that is just that uh, it's predator avoidance. It's just constantly. The one thing that I am aware of here, I think, in my limited, my extremely limited experience, is that hunting these mountain birds is a completely different game 
than, you know, what my friend Jeff is describing when he's hunting the egg birds and stuff like that. So uh, it, there's I, a lot of climbing <laughs> up and down. And, yeah. You don't gain weight um, coming here to hunt turkeys. It's so much fun. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's intense. But but to, to answer that question, so so had one of us been south of the roost tree and north of the roost tree this morning, those birds would have came out of it and walked down the ridge south or up the ridge to the north. So they would have walked into either one, one of us. One of us, yeah. Um, like I said, they wouldn't have gone east or west because they had immediately been going off of the steep face. And uh, the turkeys don't like uh, going straight up and straight down uh, because they got two legs. If you've ever watched these guys try to get up a steep bank, it's... A little bit on the comical oh, side. Interesting. Um, there you go. More in the sense, I actually kind of feel bad for them. Um, you know, it's it's like if you were handcuffed and then you had to scramble up a bank, cut bank off the road. Mm-hmm. So whenever they come up these steep ridges, they tend to hit the elk trails. They come up the nose of the ridge, so it's a gradual, tr- uh, nice game trail up onto the top of the ridge, rather than doing what we do, which is to power straight up the the face of the ridge to get up on top as quickly as possible. Been playing little games in my mind, going, okay, what would I do? And then uh, watching you do it, and mm. I've been right most of the time. That would insinuate I'm right, <laughs> <laughs> and so far we haven't we haven't got a bird, so I'm not. Well, this is such a great hunt because, I mean, I've said this already, but, you know, we've been in birds every single day. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so it is a good hunt. It is successful in that sense that we, uh, that, that we're, that we're always, that we're always in it. So, um, and we're up on this ridge. It's kind of interesting. I'll, I'll post a picture on Instagram, but we're up on this ridge that you marked you were in the forestry industry back in your 20s yeah i was and, a forester yeah and you actually were the guy that was up here marking all these trees to save them like the trees that you would mark or the trees that would not be cut yeah uh and so that was really poignant when we came up on this group of three because yesterday you were telling me how you would select trees and one of the selection criteria was you know clumps of two or three mature trees and they would create this canopy uh, where it would leave bare ground you know in the winter and it was just an excellent cover for deer and and elk and whatnot Um, and so we come up on this ridge that's been it, you can just tell it's been responsibly logged, you know, like there, it's not clear cut. There's trees still everywhere. It's still forested. But then every now and then you see these faint yellow bands. And when did you mark those trees? Yeah, it was around 1994. So we come up here and we see these marks on the trees, these yellow bands around the trunks of these great fir trees. And, uh, and Mark just casually mentions, you know, yeah, I made these marks. And uh, <laughs> it's just so weird. So anyways, it's not weird. It just it's so, I don't know. It's yeah, it was, very. It was 30 years ago up here. Meaningful. A few years out of university up here. Um, designing the logging blocks and how they were going to be logged. We're in prime winter range. So leaving trees that like John said, would provide snow interception, we call it, in the wintertime for deer and elk uh, was an important consideration. 
And then we're finding sign underneath those trees, like you pointed out. There was the turkeys were Head doing a, a dust bath. And and we just bounced uh, about twelve white-tailed deer out of that that one end, and they were all bedded bedded there, you know, around some of those leaf trees. And I've got white-tailed bucks up in this country. I've hunted up a lot, just right behind us. My wife and my daughter both got their first white-tailed bucks up here, and in this area that I help design for the logging. So uh, I feel really good about it. Um, you know, caring a lot about wildlife and paying attention to little tiny things, you know, as a hunter. Uh, so so here's something. We were talking about this before. I'm a hunter. Not all foresters are hunters. I was able to come up here on important winter range, and I'm like, deer and elk will lay there. I, I know they will lay there. This is an important clump of trees to reserve from logging because it'll continue to provide somewhere that's snow-free in the middle of the wintertime. And I can walk around as a hunter applying that to a logging operation that's designed to have minimal impact on, on winter range for deer and elk. Uh, foresters that aren't, they're just like, oh, there's some big trees. Those will make good saw logs. And so they let them log those. And I'm like, no, those are, that's the critical bunch that six elk are going to need to lay underneath of in a big snowstorm. And so I feel really good from um, taking my hunting knowledge and my love of wildlife and conservation and applying it to an industrial setting. Uh, it's not like this anymore. They 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 would have taken those big trees now. Um, we reached a point in forestry where they used to compl started complaining about what we were doing out here. Going, you're leaving too much timber, and it's too expensive to log. And you know, we just got to change the rules, and we just can't afford to do this anymore. And so now they pretty much just clear cut up here, and uh, that's why I can't really be involved in it anymore. And got out of it. But there's an example we were talking about that the other day. How hunters. I, th I believe that hunters need to get involved politically. You know, you see that with the anti-hunting groups. You see that with the pro-business groups. So, you know, I think it's time, especially hunters that are our age, you know, in my opinion, I think one thing we could do differently that maybe we're not focused on historically is running for office, yep. running for governance boards, running for... Uh, committees to um, uh, help consult with government officials. And that's something you've been doing, actually, isn't yep, it? Yep, you bet. I'm on top of all the podcasting stuff and all that stuff that I do. I'm on numerous uh, different advisory committees and, and stuff like that and continue to try to stay involved as much as I can to impart some of that knowledge. And Yep. If you apply that knowledge, you make great wildlife habitat so great that the turkeys can get away from you. <laughs> Damn you, Mark. Yeah. If it was clear cut, we'd be able to see them. <laughs> <laughs> Hey folks, it's Mark Hall, host of the Hunter Conservationist Podcast in Cranbrook, British Columbia. Join co-host Curtis and I as we have nuanced conversations with scientists, First Nation leaders, hunters, trappers, book authors, and biologists about wildlife science, conservation, and responsible hunting in Canada. You can find the Hunter Conservationist Podcast wherever you download podcasts.
doing a day three update. We talked last night, I think, yes, and you had roosted some birds, and we'd formulated a plan, and then, so what happened? Well, it's about a kilometer hike back into where they were, and we got back in there in, in the dark and heard them gobbling in the tree. There was two of them. I was pretty sure there was only one last night, and then this morning there were two one up on the ridge, one a little down off the crest of the ridge. So we, I, I'd been in there before. I knew where there was a trail. I knew how to work my way up there uh, and not end up in, you know, some thicket somewhere or whatever. So we worked our way up the the ridge. Uh, it was it was quite flat. It wasn't really that hard to walk up that that hill. We didn't break a sweat. Like there was no heavy breathing. Anything. It was it was basically well in. In my part of the world, it's what we call flatland. <laughs> Shut up, Mark. <laughs> to go back tomorrow to get John's lung. It's somewhere. <laughs> it's somewhere on the hillside there. <laughs> uh, um, well, there's pictures that I'll post on Instagram where there are, like, I've got the tent in the foreground, and then the ridge that we were on. Yeah. And this afternoon we had weather move in, and the ridge that we were on is way the hell up there and covered in snow. So. That was a climb, dude. I don't care what you tell me. That was that was a climb. Yeah, no, it it was. It, it was. It was. It, you know, it's a good little get get you sweating because you're but you're bundled up. Uh, that's the thing. Yeah, is, right. Is I bundle up pretty good uh, with some down layers and some wool and stuff because walking you're fine, but then all of a sudden you got to sit, you know, for uh, a turkey and work work a bird. And you could be sitting for 45 minutes for an hour or whatever, and you get cold. So, like, it's it's wool mitts, it's wool toque, it's a scarf, it's a uh, light down jacket underneath. Several layers. Like, yeah, like, it's... it's I'm wearing like, wool mid layers and wool exterior. Like, late season deer hunting. So, when you have to climb up these hills, you get all quite quite sweated up and stuff. But, so, anyways, we got in, we... we Got a pretty good read just from listening to the gobbles in the tree where the two were. I said, let's get right up on top of the, the bench on the plateau. And I would probably say from the top bird that was roosted on the ridge, we were maybe 75 yards from it. Yeah, I'd say that's about right. And we just thought there's a nice little opening in the forest. Put the, the decoy up, we split up and kind of sat um, parallel to each other under a couple of trees so that we could each kind of have a bit of a, a shooting lane there. And I just did some soft hand calls and just like boom, right away they just exploded. And and um, so I just kind of like, you know, they're still in the roost tree, worked a few little calls. They were like gobbling their heads off and, and, uh, and then all of a sudden it was just like complete silence. Mm-hmm. And so then I knew they had flew down and, uh, sometimes you can hear them. They make a cackle and you can hear the wings flapping. And if they happen to hit a branch when they're coming down with those big wings, you'll hear the crack smack. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, they've come down out of the tree. They're on the ground. Uh, so not quite, uh, gobbling and stuff. And then I saw just a turkey move. And nothing, no sound, no sound, no sound, no nothing. I tried a little bit of a little bit of a hen calls, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then I, I went to a little bit of a louder uh, cut and a yelp call. And then all of a sudden, 
got some gobbles and they're like 125 yards and they're working their way away from us in the ridge. And I was just like, Oh, not again. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure what's up there is a mature, mature bird with a, with a hen. I'm pretty sure we both thought we heard a bit of a hen cackle after they flew down in, mm -hmm. and, and, um, and then there's a smaller, younger bird, a Jake that's, roosting just a little ways away from the, the hen and the tom and they just immediately went in the opposite direction which yeah. is a classic for a hen up tom yeah it's called so yeah and then we did get ahead of them again yep that was a big scramble back down the ridge uh across the road. logging roads another logging road and into a bit of an opening and we shot called and you know, not that far away, maybe a hundred yards, you know, up the ridge. Um, and then that was it. That was the last we heard of them ever. Yeah. So this... Yeah. We made a, took a gamble that they were going to get up onto the higher ridge and work yeah. north. And we went, scooted yeah. up the road, up onto that ridge and couldn't find them up top. And so we started working south back towards their direction and covered a whole, <clears throat> whole big swath of ground right through where I... I do some of my deer hunting and stuff down down that way and just could not locate nope. the birds Never again. Never heard so. them again. Nope. So the routine has been for us to hunt in the morning and then be back here midday, early to mid-afternoon on average and then uh, visit and have lunch and, and then head out again for about 8 o'clock is what we've been doing. Yeah. Leaving here at about 7, 7.30 I think we left tonight. And then, so you had the idea, let's just go right back to that ridge because you, you had suspected that we hadn't done any harm there. Yep. Let's just shot call from the road and see if we can track him again. And on the way there, because there's, there's road closures here on all these logging roads, so you can only drive so far. <clears throat> but as we pulled up to that spring... Uh, we see three, three turkeys walking yeah, across three the road. Three turkeys walk across the road. That was so neat to see. Yeah, that was three. the closest that I'd seen turkeys. So three hens. Yeah, three hens walk across the road, just slip up the ridge so quick and carefully. It was fun to watch and exciting. It was kind of like that feeling I get at home, you know, bear. Yeah. Right? When yeah. you see that bear on the side of the road or whatever. But, anyways, we walked a certain distance. Cake, yeah, about a kilometer, kilometer and a half yeah, up, is that up it? to the top. It feels yeah. longer. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> totally flat. Yeah. <laughs> it's not too bad. But, anyways, nice walk after a snowstorm. It snowed for the better part of this afternoon, actually. Yeah, the roads here are not bad. They're quite. They must be quite porous because I was expecting at home if we had a rain like that, you'd be yeah, you wearing those, mud boots. You right? got those heavy clay, blue clay soils yeah. in the boreal forest. Yeah, it's yeah. more it's all glacial till, gravelly, rubbly yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um and so we walked up to the place like where you shot called from last night. Yep, and, same spot. And boom. They're it they're they're in the same tree more or less. Literally the like. two birds are probably in exactly the same <laughs> two trees as last night. So Which, you know, I had asked you about at the very beginning. That, that was and pretty rare. Yeah, was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you weren't maybe even expecting that tonight? No, I was I was halfway expecting them to be in the general oh, vicinity. Right. And yeah. that's always been my experience as, uh is 
you know, I have seen them come back to the general vicinity of where they had roosted before. These two appear to have come back to like literally almost exactly <laughs> the same two spots. Yeah. One high on the ridge, one a little lower. Mm. We're going to go about it a little differently. Yeah, we? we're going to get up a little earlier um, and, you know, get up there so that if we're trying to get into position and stuff, we're doing it more under the cover of darkness. Uh, we were, you know, twilightish this morning when we were getting into position. And the, the, where the top bird is roosted, he's very near the ridge. And this ridge has a very, towards the nose of the ridge, is very razorback like like it doesn't have a big flat top on it it's quite narrow and there's a big elk trail just drops off the nose of the ridge and that's where they walked out this morning they walked out that off that end of the ridge so if we can get up onto that end end of the ridge and just just go in silent go in and set up somewhere where we can both see a little chunk of the ground anticipating that they're going to do exactly the same thing, which is come out of that tree and then work their way in that exact same direction. Mm -hmm. There just seems to be a general pattern here. It was like that last year is birds work these ridges from south to north. So I'm going to have to spend some time thinking about why, and it's going to have to do something to do with the timing of the sun hitting some slopes. I got to kind of wrap my brain around understanding the logic of the, of the working from the south going to the north in the morning. Mm. Uh, but it seems to be a, like a thing, a thing. So if we can just sit there, we're in a very constrained, um, geographic yeah. profile, like that on that ridge, that they should, yeah. they should walk within 30 yards of us, uh, yeah. on their way out in the morning. So. Did with Curtis one time, we got two right together, um, the two toms strutted right into our decoys one day and it was like, Curtis was sitting on my left, the two birds were coming in, slightly one in the front, slightly one on the right, so it's obvious there's a left bird and there's yep. a right bird, yep. and um, basically kind of said wait till they get to that little bit of a stump so that the, the behind bird, the one on the right, was a little bit more clear shot. And then he, he led with his shot and then, and then I followed. So mm. just for whatever reason, you know, I think the first person should, should shoot. And then if for whatever reason, the other bird reacts or something or the, the thing's not quite right or whatever, then uh, you may not get the second bird. But, mm. uh, Curtis and I talked this over in the morning and it's basically like, if you have the shot, you take it. You mm. don't worry about that second bird. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. if you Good. can get the one, whoever it is, and you're like, that's my shot, you just take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Good. You've gotten eight birds in a row until last year. Yeah. Yeah, last year I didn't I didn't have a good year. I had so a you miss. need a slump buster here yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, before, so like this is like, you know, over 20 years now, it took the first few years of hunting to kind of get it figured out what we're doing mm -hmm. and then we were kind of like Curtis and I he was quite little I think we got our first turkey and he he got it when he was uh 10 and so he's mm -hmm. like 20 seven eight this year somewhere in there and uh and then we were kind of like every other year yeah one year we would like hunt 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 have all these wooden work out then we get one the next year and then it was kind of like every other year and then I just kind of like really came into it and 
was dialed did. in and it yeah. was like, yeah, it was about eight straight years. And then, yeah, last year I got into, uh, yeah, just kind of some really awkward situations and some, you know, not a lot of timing on shots and bad luck just kind of blew it and yeah. hit a bush and yeah yeah you missed right yeah with, with that deflection yeah yep. so anyway yeah, fun stuff that's that's hard to take but uh yeah it, i'm, it I'm not a, i'm it, not trying to break any kind of a slump thing like i i don't i don't you know in a way it was almost good not to get one last year because i don't like that idea it's like well eight years in a row and it's like it doesn't matter right like it just <laughs> it matters uh, a little bit dude yeah I love mostly it. because i love having the turkey so. right yeah yeah exactly but i mean it proves a point too i like it i love that no um, i mean it's it's one bird a year, so it is yeah. kind of nice to get it, and yeah. and uh, it does make a lot of meals, and and it's turkey, yeah. So everything else is like duck, deer, moose, bear, and yeah. it's like this is turkey. Yeah. So like we're yeah. a completely different yeah. wild meat, and yeah. so I like I like having that. I no doubt. I'm they're like little gold bars in my freezer. Kind of looking forward to it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, well, hopefully I can get one. That would be fun. I, I've been dreaming about hunting turkeys since I can remember. So in Alberta growing up, I was reading stories about them hunting turkeys in the U.S. And in Alberta, we have a draw, but it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime draw right now. Um, and uh, yeah, there's just no real opportunity to hunt turkeys for me. You know, I never traveled to hunt at least down south anyways mm. so yeah my first turkey hunt and uh it's been everything i dreamed it would be like really fun you know it's kind of hard we're laughing about all the turkeys we're seeing on instagram my first turkey today you know every single post like somebody with this gargantuan turkey which is awesome i love it these birds are different hey oh, like, there these is, are not this is agriculture a hard birds. Hunt. this is a hard hunt they're not agriculture there's birds. not high populations despite the fact i attribute the fact that we're seeing birds every day or hearing birds every day to the fact that you know what you're doing for the last 20 odd years yeah in this area. i mean i'm i'm, I'm not know, convinced least... that i would if i came here blind I might lock into roosting a bird one night. Gotcha. Right? Maybe, but maybe not. Yeah. And I certainly wouldn't have known to just sit and wait in an area. That's two times we've just sat in a meadow because it's a popular strutting meadow and had birds work into us. Yep. It's just, yep. right? We didn't do anything to make those birds appear. Yeah, and that's just knowledge of their behavior over the yeah. years and where they travel and which yeah. trail they travel on and those yeah. sorts of things. Pretty and invaluable. So, yeah, I mean, I feel good about, you know, that all of those years' experiences are putting us, you know, into the game each each day. Every day. So um, I'm, I'm happy And then tonight we that. go to bed knowing for the second night in a row exactly where the birds are <laughs> yeah. going to be tomorrow morning yeah it's such a weird feeling yeah it's like having a buck tied up to a tree you know <laughs> and knowing that tomorrow that buck is going to be at that tree at that same tree like yeah. it's weird yeah i don't understand the feeling that i'm feeling so anyways it's, it's a pretty cool. it's a hunt unto itself yeah these things that shot gobble that uh oh yeah, you just... know what else i noticed um, is that it just sort of a, 
it occurred to me like every time that there's turkeys near us, there's ravens near yeah, us. Yeah, you've been mentioning that. Yeah, it just has occurred to me. And tonight again, there's a raven sitting on a tree not far away from where yeah, the turkeys are. Yeah, there were two of them, kind of like uh, haranguing the two the two turkeys yep. in the tree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a thing there. I suspect, if I had to guess with some intuition, that the ravens are hanging out because they want to follow the hen to the nest is my guess yeah that's that i don't know that would that would be biologically correct or maybe the, they're waiting for an owl to pick one off so that's that they possible to invade that yep. kill yeah that's a biologically uh appropriate deduction the the less likely lord of the rings version <laughs> i love this is yeah. they are conspiring with the turkeys and they are listening to us and then going back and telling the turkeys our plan no that's not the one i like <laughs> i like the one that you said where they are trying to help us yes they're right here guys they're, they're right here here, yeah. here they are they're yeah there. So that we, when we kill a turkey, we maybe leave them something. Yeah, leave leave them leave them the insides or whatever. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> one or the other, one of the three or four. I've had that experience as both rabbit hunting, like snowshoe hare. Yeah, you told and me that deer. story. And I do think, uh, and there are stories that go back into indigenous communities about <clears throat> the the whole idea of the ravens and the crows helping the hunters. Tell tell that story quick about the raven and the rabbit. Hunt. So, so crows are as far as intelligence and vocal capabilities are actually yeah. put in the same category as parrots. Yeah, um, so they can mimic sounds, all sorts of things. So I was snowshoe hare hunting one winter and <clears throat> there were is an area with lots of logs and blowdowns and tangled up and brush piley kind of stuff, hair tracks all over the place. And I'm like, I'm sure there's they gotta be underneath of there yeah, hiding and stuff. Nan and Papa's place. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um so I, I tried kind of walking around, kicking some of the logs in the piles, maybe to try to flush one out. And then it, that wasn't working, so I just thought, I'm just going to go sit here mm -hmm. and just watch this area where all of this down wood is and then maybe catch one like that sticks out to have a look around or tries to dart between two logs or whatever. Yeah. And behind me, I heard a owl. It just, all of a sudden, this owl went... <laughs> like that. Yeah. And it was... <laughs> I turned around and this this bird came right down into the, where these wood piles were and flared its wings. Like, and it was a crow and, and landed. And to this day, I am completely convinced that it knew I was hunting the hares. It knew hares would freak if there was an owl there. Yeah. And so it basically was trying to act like a act flushing like dog. an owl to flush a hare out. <laughs> That is a great story. I uh, love I just, that story. Yeah. I, it's the only explanation I have for it. <laughs> All right. Early to bed for me tonight. And uh, I think tomorrow we're getting up early, early. 4 a.m. So. All right. Sounds good. Hi, everyone. This is JJ, the co-founder of Good Pods. If you haven't heard of it yet, Good Pods is like Goodreads or Instagram, but for podcasts. It's new, it's social, it's different, and it's growing really fast. 
There are more than 2 million podcasts, and we know that it is impossible to figure out what to listen to. On Good Pods, you follow your friends and podcasters to see what they like. That is the number one way to discover new shows and episodes. You can find Good Pods on the web or download the app. Happy listening. Well, Mark, you were just saying this would be a good thing to document. So let's document this. <laughs> so four o'clock in the morning. Well, now it's four thirty, and uh, on day I don't it's, even know. It's, it's four twenty-seven. <laughs> the days have melted together. You were projecting what somebody who doesn't hunt might think. You know. Yeah, we, we we always talk about trying to explain hunting to non-hunters and what we do and all that kind of stuff. And and we're just kind of sitting here in this comatose, trying to come awake and and uh, make get some coffee going here, sitting on the floor. Uh, and and I just said, yeah, imagine trying to explain this part of hunting <laughs> to a non-hunter. You know, you're up at four, you're tired, you're slow body's a bit sore you desperately need a shower yeah your coffee pot sitting on the floor <laughs> you know like i mean you eat pretty good but it's like we said last night we haven't had a vegetable for <laughs> a week <laughs> it's just because you just make these meals that are uh just kind of like a, a one pot dish kind of thing and it's quick and not a whole lot of dishes to clean up afterwards and yeah, I, I could just see somebody looking at this from the outside going, whoa, are you guys crazy? And the uh, the sort of mental fortitude you develop when you're doing this. Yeah. Because if you, I was just joking, if we were at home and we felt like this, we'd call in sick, right? You know, <laughs> if, if you were working somewhere else, you'd yeah. call in sick. And... Yeah. Puffy eyes. Or you'd and, certainly go back to bed, right? Yeah. You'd be like, what am I doing? And you'd go back to sleep. But Yeah, because I, I had a mouse in the tenter all last night. <laughs> and uh, that was kind of like, you know, you're in and out of sleep. Couldn't quite fall to sleep. He literally comes in here like about 30 seconds after I shut the light off at bedtime. So scratching around on the floor in here and sounds bigger than he really is. And But uh, yeah, I just, it would be be funny for someone to look at this and and i don't you know i imagine there's you know other things people get up or that have to go to work really early at five in the morning probably you know have this slow thing or maybe somebody's getting up because they got to travel or you know a hockey tournament or something like that right mm -hmm. but, but uh i i doubt that very many people go out like, let's say they went camping, you know, that was just their thing, camping like that. Like, they probably wouldn't start their mornings like this. This early, yeah. Yeah, you know, you, you sleep in, and you have a cup of coffee, and you kind of lounge around, and you're on vacation, and yeah. <laughs> here we are. Yeah. But. You know, and then we do it all over again, right? You know, the minute you get home, you're just excited to do it again. So yeah, these these are the parts that you kind of forget about when you're plan, <laughs> planning these trips uh, f for the winter. But yeah, and the older you get too, it's just kind of like it. Uh, 
yeah, like your endurance level to, uh, oh, I just put hot water on my feet. Yeah. Kind of your, just your endurance level to keep this up day after day is you're in the diminishing returns part of the curve. Up at four o'clock in the morning, we had roosted birds up on the ridge, so we knew exactly where we were going. Mark knew exactly where he was going. <laughs> but we had a plan, and that was always fun. The thing with these turkeys that I've discovered through Mark is like the, well, it's not 100% necessary. It is definitely an asset to roost the birds at night. And uh, we've tried that every night. We've been successful on, what, two of the nights, I think, out of my four, I want to say. Yeah, I think that's about right. Of finding birds at the night. night before. Yeah. Yeah, so the term roost a bird is you locate a bird that's in the roost tree the night before you go hunt. Yeah, so they typically go up to roost at like, well, at this time of year, like eight o'clock. It seems quite early that they're in their roosts. It's about half an hour before. And the tree that you find them in at eight o'clock that night is the tree that you'll find them in at four o'clock in the morning. So yeah, tell that story, Mark. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, so we we went in to the area quite early in the morning and hiked our way up on to the high ridge where the turkeys were roosted. So this was kind of fun because I've been on that ridge lots before, and I know if I just go down the one little old road, I know where the game trail is, I go on it, it's like over here, up the draw, up this, you get onto the open hillside and you cut way up onto the draw. But I was worried that we would bump into the birds or that we would have to sneak past the birds to get to the north side of them. And so I decided to go on the north end of the ridge and get up to the roosted birds that way. And I'd been farther to the north and been farther to the south, but this exact spot we were walking through, I hadn't actually been through there. Oh. And it was the most convoluted terrain. <laughs> it's like you hike and hike and hike and hike and go up this steep hill and you're sweating and you get to the top and there's another great big ravine down into the bottom and up another ridge. And then you get to that ridge and there's another great big ravine that went down and up and that got onto a cross ridge and it's pitch dark out, yeah. you know, so I'm... It was actually hard to walk because you just couldn't see Yeah, you're ground. walking into bushes yeah. and, yeah. And um, so anyways, we're going up and down there and I, I'm just powering up and down the hill or whatever. And then I'm thinking, oh man, John's probably behind me going, I... What is he doing? Yeah, what the There's heck? a thing in mountain hunting mountain hunting where you don't give up your elevation. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know, you fight for that every foot of elevation. Yeah, yeah. You, at all costs, you do not give it up. But in this case, there was just no choice. Yeah, like, it was just, just a weird series of these really steep ridges and rivulets. And I, I'm sure what it is is there had been water carved yeah. through there before and left all these series of uh, ridge valleys anyways we got up onto 
the uh, so I got to one point where I'm like, okay, is the ridge the turkey's on like to the left or is it this one on the right and it's pitch dark and I'm trying to get my bearings about me. Oh, and we had made a plan not to shock call. Yeah, we we're just we were going in totally silent to just go in and sit down close to the roost tree and then catch them when they when they flew down. But we didn't want to be close. We wanted to be like you know whatever. 50 to 100 yards, I guess, was your plan, right? Yeah, 50 probably, yards. yeah, maybe even just 50, but but yeah, back position back so that when they funneled their way out, they would have hopefully walked straight to us on this on this ridge. <clears throat> and so I started down one more down into the ravine, and I'm like, okay, I know where this I know this cross ravine. If I just go up it a little bit, there should be the big elk trail that goes up onto the nose of the ridge. I found the big elk trail. Yep, you know exactly where this is. Walk up onto the ridge. And then there's we start to get into the little grassy openings on the top of the ridge. So we kinda, now we can sort of see. Yeah, yeah, like it's a little easier to walk, yeah. definitely, but still pretty darkish i mean we had about an hour before the birds would come out of the tree and so we're kind of like well let's we just set up here and you know you're trying to try yeah, to like we were going to set up at one place yep and they were like oh let's wasn't wasn't up. nice big yep. trees to sit they were smaller trees and it just didn't feel too good and, and i was thinking well the turkeys are roosted just over there maybe like 50 yards that's I think where where they're sitting because they haven't gobbled on their own. It's a little too early yet. And then I said to Don, well, let's just move forward just a little bit more. There's good Um, trees right up there. There's a big tree. I'll sit there. I've got that ground there covered. You sit there and you've got that ground covered. And so we got in and we're trying to like get some branches out of the way and get ourselves settled in there. And we just kind of both got sat down and all of a sudden, and it's literally right beside us in the tree. So I was sitting, yeah, maybe what, 10, 12 yards away from you. And I'm sitting there in the dark. We'd been sitting there for several minutes, 15 minutes, maybe, let's say. And the whole time I could hear this, you know, and then a few minutes later, and I recognized it instantly from the turkeys that we have, the Miriam's turkeys that we grew out on the farm. So I knew it was a tom turkey, but it sounded so damn close, still dark, still whatever. And then all of a sudden it starts getting lighter and there's a shape in the tree, like right in front of me. How far? <laughs> like 15 yards, 20 yards? Maybe? Yeah, probably like the, maybe the 30-ish range. Um, yeah. But it was a little bit on the, like this, it downslope. The downslope. So you're almost looking eye level across, kind of at the. I think it was closer than that because yeah. I was. I could have shot her. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. It's, anyways, it doesn't matter. Close, close enough that I could hear her purring and I could hear her chirping like really softly and and then like you said, yeah. Then all of a sudden, and they were like right there. Uh, and w- in front of me, so you were behind, right? I was trying to signal you that they were right there, but you didn't understand what the hell. Yeah, it was, it was just dark and you're given hand signals and I don't know yeah. sign language. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but as luck would have it, I guess, I was. it was their landing pad. I knew it was their landing pad because all around them was, was fir trees, right? So it just seemed to me that they had one option, which was to fly to the roost 
um, towards the top of the ridge, which is towards us. And like they were going to land right in my lap, more or less. And you had said all this week, you know, they tend to fly out of the roost and hit the tops of the ridges, right? Yeah. And then work their way along the ridges. And so I thought, okay, they're going to fly, you know, they're going to be right in my lap. So I wasn't quite ready because there's this hen like right in front of me that I can see her. And so she can see me if I move. And so I couldn't even really get my gun ready. And then eventually they come out of the roost at a certain time in the morning. Right. So it was funny because I could see her. She starts preening herself and she stretches her back leg way out and she's, you know, stretching her neck and whatever. Uh, and then I could tell that she was getting ready to come out of the roost and she flew down the other direction. And I was like, oh, no. But then almost immediately after, woof, 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 the big tom that was in the tree next to her did exactly what we wanted them to do, like landed right in the landing pad. From your perspective, what did it look like? Yeah, was, well, there was the two, right? Like the, know, two, the two of them. And yeah, they flew down and they were, right they were coming me. like right in front of you, like mm -hmm. 10, 15 yards in front. These two turkeys were landing. And then I saw you bringing your gun up and you kind of had the bit of a beat. And I was as like... As the turkey landed, I didn't want to bring my gun up when the turkey was flying. Yeah. But as it immediately as it landed, I went boop. And yeah, and I me. just thought they landed right in front of you, and it's like any second I'm going to hear a boom. the The slope was concave, so it was rolling away a little yeah. bit below you. And uh, but I'm thought I was just thinking they're so close in front of you that you should be able yeah, to see, see one. And you head. just need to, yeah. you know, see see a head and verify a, a beard on the bird, and then it was like they're right in front of John. And then it was just kind of like you held your gun, you held your gun, you held your gun. I couldn't see bird moving. I thought maybe they're going to angle across towards me, yeah. you know, and maybe I'd get a shot and you, you didn't. And then there was no gobbling on the ground. And then it was just quiet for quite, quite some, some time, 15 minutes or so. And then all of a sudden Nothing. we heard them. Yeah, they were moving away. Gobbling and they were like a hundred yards to the north of us. And then we had a heck of a day. We just followed them for hours and tried to get ahead of them you know your no knowledge of the area is invaluable because you're like okay if we cut through here so we were just cutting through the woods like through the forest and then all of a sudden boom you come on this landing or this this old log landing um and then we could hear them you know so we'd gotten ahead of them yeah and then they just kept going around us we weren't calling or anything we were just waiting for them to come to us think, assuming they hit these we landings were, we were just anticipating direction of travel and where they might go based on because where i've they, seen them before right they love these landings why um they were after the logging these was meadows, all, i guess is another they look more like a meadow but they were logging landings when when they logged in there so they you know they burn the slash piles they smooth them over and stuff and then they grass seed them so they're like little golf greens so you got clovers and green grasses and stuff and and it's a bit of a strut zone for the toms but Cow also patties cow patties there where they flip over to get worms and stuff out underneath of them and and yeah and just green green vegetation so but they just never we never, they never saw showed them up again. there yeah. yeah we set up on them like what three times a couple think. times trying to yeah and the last time we t way to the north where we were kind of like 
trying to get ahead of them and maybe set up one last time. There were there were four of them, so there mm. were there were two others up there somewhere that ended up joining in the parade of the and two that we were. They ended up in the same area that we were the first day of our hunting. Yeah, you, know, you me, and Curtis first couple there, days, first yeah. couple days. Yeah. yeah. So that seems to be a hub to me. Absolutely, they always sort of seem to end up there. Um, but yeah, they just disappeared. The ghosts that just but that disappeared. that was just such an amazing experience. Like we sat there for probably close to an hour in the dark. Yeah. Well, they gobbled and they were right in front of us, and you could see the hen. And I was just so excited for you because you were like watching this like a giant screen TV in front yeah. of you, and it's like everything turkey. Yeah. was happening in front of you, right? Like there's the hen, the toms are roosted, the toms are gobbling, the hen's tree calling and she's coming awake and, yeah. you know, anticipating the fly down and like just all this oh. stuff that I talk about. Yeah. And it's like, it's happening right in front of you. And I was just like, I was so excited by that. Like it's just, yeah. um, and I've never in all my years hunting these things, i I've never set up so close that when they flew down, they were literally going to land right in front of your feet. Like yeah. I have not been quite, I've, I've been close enough to watch them fly down and see them on the ground, you know, and have 40 ish yards between us, but not. Yeah. This was like five yards. <laughs> yeah. But not quite. No, it wasn't five. So, but anyways, they just landed over the ridge of the hill. Like had that been on a per perfectly piece, oh, yeah. flat piece of ground, yeah. you'd have got. Done. You'd have, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we also saw the ravens uh, harassing them. In the trees. It was trees. kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. The one raven buzz bombing him and flaring and she just ducks out of the way. Like he was nowhere near her, right? Yeah, because those, those crows were there last night um, hassling them yeah. when they were in the roost trees. Oh, yeah. I guess they are crows, aren't they? Yeah, crows. Yeah. yeah. And then they were there first thing this morning bugging yeah. the yeah. turkeys in the, in the roost tree. Yeah. That's a weird one. Mark, you run the, uh, tell us about the turkey course, the turkey masterclass. Yeah. So on our website, thehunterconservationist.com, you hit the landing, the main homepage, just scroll down to the bottom and there's a, a little graphic and a link there to the wild turkey hunting in British Columbia masterclass. And uh, you can subscribe to it. It's a self-paced self-directed online course of various chapters and everything of the history of wild turkeys and where they evolved from through I to love that section. modern that concepts of conservation and management and everything in between and gear hunting tactics strategies calling calls everything you can absolutely think of shotguns shotgun patterning bows uh, the whole works is mm -hmm. everything I know about turkeys I put into that course. And um, yeah, it's available it's online for folks to take. And yeah, you should just go check that out. If you're new to turkey hunting, you definitely want to track down Mark's turkey hunting masterclass. One question I wanted to ask you, we talked about this before. I said I wanted to ask you on the show. It's light enough to shoot. Oh, the toms are yeah. roosted in a tree right beside you they're gobbling their heads off some people will walk up to the tree and shoot the mm -hmm. tom out of the tree mm -hmm. i have my own particular take on that but sitting there did what was going through your mind about like 
Could I just get walk up and take two steps to the side and shoot one of the birds out of the tree? Yeah, it was interesting because this is new to me. And things were going through my mind, actually. It's like, is it legal? For one thing. We talked a bit about that with other species. You know, is it legal to shoot a fawn or legal to shoot, you know, whatever, like age class of animals and things like that. The answer to me was not, I didn't even entertain it. No, was not in my mind. What went through my mind is it's just cheating to me. Okay. But you said it is legal. Oh, yeah. And yeah, as long as you're, and there's people that do do it. That's how some people hunt here is they'll drive around early in the morning in the roads. They'll get out the shot call or something. And if they hear a tom in a tree, they just grab their stuff and head up there and uh, find it in the tree and get to the bottom of it and mm. shoot it before it it actually feels comfortable to, f you know, that there's enough light for it to fly out. So th yeah. they need enough light to see, to fly out of the tree. Mm -hmm. um, so they get on the ground, they feel comfortable, they can see predators and stuff. So they do stay actually quite late, you yeah. know, in, yeah, well, into yeah, shooting light, well probably shooting in an light. hour. And, um, and so some people do that and, um, you know. I don't know. It, to me, it just, it's a little weird, like everything to do with hunting turkeys, it's just a little weird. It's a little different. <laughs> and, um... Uh, to me, it just seems, you know, we talked a lot all day today about different things regarding fair chase and what is fair chase and what, what does that mean? And, and it sometimes means different things for different species of animals or different forms of hunting, right? So it's, it's just a weird concept to explore. Um, but that didn't strike me as fair chase. The other thing, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I've often said, I do not wish to judge people who if it's legal and that's what you choose to do then fine right it's just something that i'm not going to choose to yeah. do so yeah and it always brings up the question that comes up in hunting uh it's legal but is it ethical mm -hmm. um so that's my view and what i teach in the course about shooting roosted toms so it is possible to be there um, at marginal light, uh, which is legal. So you have a dark colored bird mm. in a tree in darkish conditions that has branches and twigs and needle bunches and all that stuff in and around it. So first of all, you have to ensure that that thing has a beard that it is a bearded turkey. It can be gobbling and have a red head and everything all looks fine, but the legal requirement is it has to have a beard. Mm. So it's not for a male turkey, it is for a bearded turkey. Mm. So you have to be able to see that. And then I feel you're now in a situation with possibly poor light, branches and everything. And are you seeing a beard, mm -hmm. you know? And then the second part of the ethical part of it is you will most likely be shooting through branches mm -hmm. to, to hit them. And I have missed turkeys because my pellet load has clipped shrubs. Yeah. Not because you were shooting them in a tree, just no, you're on the no, ground. Like and... when I'm on the ground and I had a turkey come in and, he, and, and I'm all focused on the turkey and I'm lined up and I shot and then I had like an antelope brush or a Saskatoon shrub you know, two feet tall or whatever between me and the bird that was just not anything that I was focusing on, but my pellet pattern hit it. 
And what happens is, is your pellet pattern hits that thing and then it ends up like fireworks starburst mm -hmm. and scares the shit out of the turkey, you know, and, and stuff. But you just got pellets flying by this thing. So in my mind, you shoot into the tree and you start clipping branches. And now you've, you're running the risk of pellets deflecting, mm -hmm. wounding the bird, hitting it in the breast, breaking a wing, breaking a foot. Um, and those birds, uh, are so big and so powerful that if you hit that thing and wounded it and broke its leg, cause your pellet pattern sprayed apart and that thing launched out of that tree to, to coast off. It's one of the strategies they roost on these ridges is if something is coming up the tree after them and they launch out, they can literally be two kilometers away because they can glide away from those high, high terrain features and well, mm. off out into the valley. Yeah, they fly. And that's it. Amazing. You know, you yeah. wounded a bird and you have 0% chance of recovering it. Yeah. And so I'm just like, I'm not willing to take that chance. I don't want a turkey so it's bad. It's trapped though. in the tree. It's trapped in a tree and you've done nothing to, uh, physically hunt it because it's got an involuntary response to a loud noise so you could literally take a, a an air horn <laughs> and go eh, and it would gobble and then you know where it is and you walk up and you shoot it yeah so there's just no skill well, involved well other it's than vulnerable in a tree and it's trying to yeah yeah it has no choice but to answer you yeah. when it hears a loud noise so and then you just walk up and it can't go anywhere you know and yeah. then you you know it's just not fair yeah so no I, I love these birds too much to 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 do that so Hey everybody, John here. Thanks for finding the Food Afield podcast. I genuinely appreciate your support. One of the things I've done in the past is to ask the audience to please go ahead and leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. There will be a way to leave a review on all the major listening platforms. It's one thing that really motivates me when I see these reviews. I really see that I'm affecting people and what we talk about is meaningful to people. And so it provides that motivation that is amazing. The other thing that's really important about reviews is that it just generates legitimacy for people that haven't heard the show before. That's social proof that the podcast is a good podcast and worth the time it takes to listen to. Please feel free. I've done so in the past. I've asked you for that support as far as reviews go. So I'm asking again, really appreciate it. If you could take the time to share the show with your friends and family and go ahead and leave that review. I read every single one of them and they're all appreciated. Thanks so much. For sure, this guy was going to walk up this little Razorback Ridge right to us. I did not hear a hen in the tree. I only saw one bird fly down, so he was a lone tom. And he kind of, when he flew down, he stayed on the backside of that hill like it's concave. It rolls away from us, and... Uh, it sounded like he went a little bit to our left, which would have brought him perfectly up through this little little shooting lane here. And uh, he never never came up. And then once 
once there was silence and he didn't gobble back to any of my soft hen calls, I figured he was boogieing it. I don't know that he was alone because I could hear afterwards when he started moving away. I'm positive that I was hearing drumming not far below us, you know, like four or five times. And that's why I asked you to call because I thought, well, maybe there's a Jake near. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hear those sounds. Yeah, it was off to my left. But anyways, maybe I was hearing things because nothing materialized. But He's about half a kilometer away now. <laughs> I wonder if, like you said, the weather has something to do with this. I mean, it's snowing again here this morning as we sit, which makes for nice scenery, romantic hunting. But you wonder, you were speculating if maybe testosterone, testosterone, testosterone. You were wondering if testosterone levels might be down because they do fluctuate with these birds. So they're just not, I don't know. I'm reaching here, I think. It, it is baffling because, you know, if this was the case, we've got a lone tom in a tree. He was tree gobbling, which means he's actively calling out for hens across a large area of the landscape. So he is fired up. He is, you know, in the breeding mood. But the fact that he had you know, a soft hen call first thing in the dark in the morning, like 75 yards from him, 60 yards here. And he wouldn't, wouldn't walk up to investigate or, or strut up to that is, it's a little mind blowing actually to, you know, see them have that level of excitement in the tree, but then not, not immediately come to a hen that's on the ground. So, just unfolded here uh, I'll kind of describe it so this Tom Turkey was by himself in a tree on an incredibly high ridge um, just like a beautiful vantage point to the valley below he's gobbling his head off at first light which is there it's called a long distance courtship so they're broadcasting to females that they're there when he flew down, he hung around at the base of the tree for a little bit, which is not unusual. And then he worked his way down into this flat, which is more, way more open. You can see for 100 yards in places here. Shortly after that, about half a kilometer to the north of us, there was a hen yelping. And she was excited and yelping. And she was covering ground fast. Uh, and then she caught up to him down here in this, this open area. And then they've gone off into the forest and up onto another ridge there. So I think what is happening in some of these cases, when these toms are by themselves in the tree, they're up high, they're broadcasting, and they can hear hens maybe half or three quarters of a kilometer away. We can't hear it sitting on the ground down in the forest. And so 
right out of the hopper before he even leaves the tree. He knows where there's a, a hen. And even though we hen call right below him, it's probably, well, it's not probably, it's not as good as what he's hearing from a live hen. She's saying the right things, and and I'm not. Uh, he responds and gobbles, but then he quickly makes a decision. And so what happened here is he came off that high ridge where it's forested and hit this opening, which is very classic. The first thing that toms do when they get to the ground is they want to get to an opening so they can start strutting. He knows a female's coming for him, so he boogied down here to get in the open. And he was probably strutting down here all fanned out, just hoping that somewhere around the hen would see him doing his doing his courtship dance. And the whole time she's just booking it across that hillside, coming for him. She's excited, yelping, he's gobbling. And I was like, let's get down there onto that flat and try to get between the two of them. And then I pulled out my box call to get a really loud, excited yelp rather than the softer ones that I was doing before to match her uh, tempo and cadence and, and volume and stuff. But she beat us to him, yeah. and then off they went. So what this is making me think is it is peak breeding right now. There's a lot of breeding going on. There is a tremendous amount of competition for hens for the toms. And so in the morning, it's a foot race to get to these toms, grab them, and get them going. And we're having a very difficult time competing with these hens, which sound better, they're better looking, they got better voices, they're saying the right things, they're hooking up, and and she's getting that tom out of out of here quickly. Yeah, we've seen that over and over again. Where we're like, okay, that that tom has a hen. And then the hen doesn't want anything to do with another hen, so they're yeah. just leaving, right? So if they're roosted together, um, then the hen just comes down and starts working his way, her way off, and he just follows. Um, but in this case, and in the other cases where we've had lone toms in the tree, um, I suspect maybe that's what they're going on, is they're hearing things off in the distance that we can't hear and they immediately hit the ground, and they're like, I'm going for that hen. And we have no idea that, that there's one half kilometer in direction X. And uh, so there's just a lot of a lot of competition for breeding. And in this case, it was like this hen was just giving her. She, she must have been almost running. I could hear her from such a long distance away. And, and you're right, like we've been soft hen calling and... And she was just chirp, 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 chirp. Like she was really excited. She was really wound up. Yeah, the excited yelp. And I don't know if I said this on the show before, but when you get somewhere in close with those excited hens when they're yelping, their volume is louder than the tom's gobble. Like if you compared the two on a volume scale, she is just belting out that excited yelp. And it's got an aggressive tone to it and um yeah that's uh you know a lot of competition for the toms out here and uh we're trying to insert ourselves into this 
long history of evolution and circumvent what's hardwired into these birds' brains, and uh, we're just not at the same level as, uh, you know, what these hens are capable of doing and, and keeping these toms away from us, so. It's super so, interesting. Yeah, it sure is. And so, if I understand what you're saying, it might be better hunting for us here if we were hunting next week. Possibly. Because there'd be less hens looking for toms. Yeah, I mean... The thing is, is they're going to, they're going to breed. If I remember, like the hens can wear, lay anywhere from like 10, 12 yeah. to 22, 24 eggs. So it's an egg a day. Mm-hmm. Um, she, they've obviously, they started back in March. So this hen right here this morning that came through here, she might be on 20 or 21. Cause they've been at it for a couple, couple, three weeks now. So, yeah, any day um, things could switch and the vast majority of hens in here could reach their quota uh, for eggs. And uh, that's it. They're gone. They're going to um, go tend their nests and abandon these toms. If you then happen to, like, you know, plunk down in the middle of this, you could have these toms that are incredibly responsive to to a call. So. I think, I think that's what I was thinking too. Just it's like when you get in that whitetail rut or any rut, really, you know, it always, the hunting is a little better towards the end of that rut, Mm. you know, where there's not as many does. The bucks are still fired up with hormones and desire. And, uh, yeah, then the calling seems to work a lot better for rattling, for instance. So, Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's similar. That's my vibe. Oh, I can hear the hen. I think that was right behind us. I think that's a some sort of bird. Some sort of big strutting storm that's standing <laughs> 10 yards right behind us. Oh, yeah, there he is. Excellent. Right <laughs> yeah, he's gone. Oh, wow, this, that was a waste of five days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. It's been so much fun. I... You know, I care, but I don't care. We're just sitting here underneath this. We're in this vast meadow area interspersed with firs. And um, the snow is coming down, big, heavy snowflakes. And I just don't care right now about getting a turkey. Yeah, a little bit. It's been a good, good few days. I'm happy. Oh, I've, I've had an amazing time. It's been uh, a lot of hard work, like up and down hills. And again, this morning going up after the bird up on this ridge. That it was, was like brutal. Big ridge, big ravine, big ridge, big ravine. And it's like, oh my God, what is with this landscape? <laughs> you, you warned me like two months ago, you warned me, you said you better be in shape for this hunt. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just sit on a cornfield. How hard can you be? I'm watching turkey videos and <clears throat> from Kansas, and guys are sitting on field edges and they're blind. You know what? You know, <laughs> like how hard could this be? I think, I think you've been purposefully building it up too, because every day has gotten a little harder. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's the turkey hunting. Um, fitness weight loss program out here. <laughs> I've probably 
I probably burned off calories of, of equivalent of about 20 turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> the calorie deficit is real. Yeah. 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 That, well, that's the life of a predator. We're, we probably just need to curl up under a tree here and die, die. of starvation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, we're part of nature. We had that conversation the other day where human predators were just, we're part of nature, right? So it's time for us to succumb to starvation and leading mortality of of hunters <laughs> dude i think i've got a better calorie storage compartment on me on me so than i do yeah i'm gonna eat you oh that's that's what they uh, mean by survival of the fittest <laughs> survival of the fattest <laughs> that went dark anyways <laughs> But uh, yeah, I've had a, I've had a great time. I mean, uh, I've been so happy. We've been uh, in birds right from the night before the season, actually. And and uh, again, it's validation, you know, for me and all these years of experience and coming in here and knowing where they move on the landscape to like put us in the game. Like you know, at some point each day, um, that feels good. I don't have to get a turkey to know that I know turkeys. Um, and I think this morning was the big realization that I have come up against something so much bigger and so much powerful than me. There is absolutely no way I can compete with the level of ferocity of breeding competition that's going on here. I can never, never come close to it and uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. So uh, it's just been, been exciting and can't ask for anything more. Thank you for listening to the Food of Field podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The Food of Field podcast is created by me, John Schneider. Much of the music that goes into the show is created by my friend Kevin Coswin. And thank you also to Emma for the intro before every episode. And thank you so much to the listeners of the show. We couldn't do this without you. Be sure to head on over to Instagram. You can check out our account there, Food Afield Podcast. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stories and photographs that go on there. But if you really want the behind-the-scenes stuff, then head on over to the website, foodafieldpodcast.com. Check out the members' benefits. We have member-exclusive articles on the blog that really go behind the scenes and tell stories of the different hunts and different adventures that we're on. We also have recipes there, how-to articles, all sorts of stuff. We really try to make it valuable for our members. Don't forget to leave a review whenever you get a chance on whatever platform you're listening to the show. And thank you so much for sharing the Food of Field podcast with your family and friends.